Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We are in a, now in a bit of a, a, a gap on the holidays, at school holidays. For I know that impacts a whole bunch of you. It impacts us uh, in, a, in a good way. I think we're ready for the school holidays. We now have the kids with us for two weeks. And so what we do is uh, we, we've hit pause on our series. We're kicking off a series in, the, in, the, in Term 3. Really excited about our next series as we journey through Ephesians, uh, a series that we've called Identity. And I think it's going to be a really key series for us next term. Uh, but we've just got a few uh, uh, one-offs over the next few weeks. And we're going to be hearing from a few uh, different speakers. And I want to kick it off with a, a message that's probably been in my heart for the last few weeks. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's on uh, lament and suffering. Are you excited about that? <laughs> I, I, want to, I want to speak on lament and suffering. It's not a subject that we often speak about in the church. In fact, I think we should speak about it more often. And I was triggered by a couple of things. I, I had a conversation. The reason uh, I'm speaking on today is uh, I was triggered by a couple of um, things. Firstly, uh, was with a conversation. One was with listening to a podcast, uh, an interview with Susan Kane, which I'll speak about a little bit later. But the other one was with a conversation I had with my daughter, Eva. Uh, we've, we've got into watching, um, catching up on this series called Alone. Anyone heard a series called Alone? Uh, a few of you. Well, we only just started uh, about a month ago, and it, it's, I love it. Basically, the premise of the show is they just drop 10 people in the wilderness, in harsh wilderness, all by themselves, with just a few things, but they've got to find their own food, build their own shelter. And basically, the last person standing wins $500,000. You understand that they're not together. They are, so this is a test both of physical endurance, but also emotional endurance. And in fact, it's the emotions that, that tend to get them at the end of the day. Uh, we were watching uh, a couple of episodes with our kids one night, and uh, I think the episode was there was some brown bears around or mountain lions or something, and, and so it was all a little bit dangerous and precarious. And Eva came up to me at the end of the show, and she said these profound words. She said, Dad, why did God create things that are dangerous and can cause us pain? It's our nine-year-old. I said, well, Eva, that's a, that's a very deep question. That's a very hard question, which I, I'm not sure I can unpack just right now. And she, then she looked up and she said, yeah, I know. It's been a question I've been asking for the last few years now. <laughs> Megan, I have no idea what's in store for us coming forward, but uh, she might be a handful. But that is a question that I think we all ask at different times, isn't it? Every human heart grapples with and asks, this question, asks these questions. Why do we experience suffering? Why do we experience pain? And where is God in the midst of our pain? Where's God in the midst of our disappointment? Where's God when we walk through these seasons of hardship and turmoil and tragedy? You know, we've been, as a society, as a globe, we've been walking through a season of disappointment and pain. The last two, two and a half years as a, as, a, as a world, we have walked through a pandemic and there's been a lot of disappointment. There's been a lot of pain. For some, very deep pain as they've seen loved ones pass away and die because of disease. 
For others, it may be the disappointment and frustration of not being able to get married or, or parties cancel, whatever. I know that the spectrum and the range is great, but everyone's felt it at different times. And you know what we fail to do sometimes is we fail to stop, we fail to pause, and we fail to give words to our lament. And I think we've lost in our society and in our church a language of lament. We've lost the song of sorrow. And our culture, if we live in our culture, and we know I've, I've spoken about this before, we, we avoid pain at all costs. Why? Because happiness is the idol of the age. We need to pursue happiness at all costs. And so to pause and stop and to actually consider and lament is actually to pull us into a place that goes against our happiness. See, in our world today, we're told that happiness is what we must pursue and seek. We're told that, happy, we're told that anything that robs us, anything that takes away our happiness must be avoided. And on the flip side, we're, we're then sold experiences and widgets that promise everlasting happiness. We're sold distractions that stop us from feeling pain and disappointment. As I said, I was listening to an interview the other day uh, by Susan Cain, who's not a Christian, but uh, she's well known. She's um, done some TED Talks that have, that have gone huge. And she's just written a, a book called Bittersweet. How Sorrow and Longing Make Us Whole. And it was very interesting reading. And as she began to share about this book and the journey that she's been on, you know, exploring the whole gift of, and the beauty of melancholy, she referred to C.S. Lewis as the person that has taken her into that place. And she refers to a particular passage uh, that C.S. Lewis writes in The Weight of Glory where he says this, and the words are going to be on the screen behind me. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust in them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, our good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. I don't know if you've ever felt that longing, that pang. You've seen something, you've experienced something, but in the midst of the joy, there's also a sorrow. There's a longing for something more. There's a lament because you can't have it all. Now, just the other day, we were, we were driving in the afternoon. We came over Gladstone Road, if you know that, on, on the south side at, at the top of Highgate Hill. And you come over and then you get this vista of, of Brisbane City. And it was about five o'clock in the afternoon. And I think we've all noticed the sunsets recently, haven't we? They have been absolutely spectacular. And as we sat at the lights and I looked at this vista and the gold glimmering off the buildings, it was just a picture of beauty. And I had this, this sense. There was, a, there was a beauty in it, but there was also a pang of sorrow because I couldn't just hold this moment forever. The sun was going down. And even if I'd grabbed my phone and taken a photo, it would never have been as good. I don't know if you feel that at times. In the midst of 
life and joy, there is a pang of sorrow. C.S. Lewis goes on to say in Mere Christianity, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And while Susan Cain doesn't land in the same place as C.S. Lewis does, she's still grappling with what faith looks like for her. I know that in the midst of the sorrow, there is a pang, there is a longing that can only be satisfied by a hope in God. And we need to find a language. We need to find a way to be able to express and speak out what's going on in the depths of our being. And we've lost it. I think as a church, we've lost our ability to give voice to lament. And it's littered throughout the Bible. You read through the Psalms. You read through, you go back to Job. Job, you know, many argue chronologically is the first book written. You know, the primal questions of God, where are you? Why am I experiencing these things? You read Ecclesiastes, Jeremiah, Habakkuk. They all have and carry this sense of sorrow and longing and lament. Today I want to look at another song, a song of sorrow. It comes from Lamentations. Lamentations is a book that is a lament. It's five poems trying to make sense. The first two are, are poems that are written about Jerusalem. Now, this, is, this is post-exile now. This is, these are poems that are, are written out of lament as Jerusalem has been attacked, invaded and destroyed. The people have been taken to Babylon. And there's a lament in their hearts. And the writer who writes the poems, we don't know exactly who that writer is, but writes from the, from the place in the first two chapters of this longing from a nationalistic perspective. And then we get to cha- chapter three. And chapter three is written from a personal perspective. Writes about personal agony, pain and lament. What's really interesting as a side note is even though Lamentations is, a, is, a, is, a, is literally poems of sorrow and pain, they are written in an acrostic way, at least the first four are, written by alphabetic order in the, in the Jewish language, in Hebrew, which actually speaks to the order in the midst of the chaos, which I really love. We're going to read this, just part of this t- t- today. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 to 33. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump into it. The words will be on the screen behind me. Let's read this together. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new Every morning, great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust, There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. I want to jump into this song and, uh, or this poem and I want to draw out seven points, 
Seven, now, I know a whole bunch of you are going to gasp because you know how long I normally preach with three or four points. Hold on to your seatbelts, everyone. We could be here all day. I'm going to really teach you what suffering's like. Now, I'm going to shoot through these nice and quick. Firstly, we all walk through seasons of suffering. Everyone walks through seasons of suffering. Verse 19, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. We know we all walk through seasons of suffering, but sometimes we don't want to acknowledge it or admit it. You know, acknowledging that actually life is hard, acknowledging that things are difficult, acknowledging that we're actually going through a season of sorrow or pain or lament. Well, it's hard to acknowledge. It's hard to admit. One, because when we remember, it actually creates pain. We actually don't want to go and visit the pain. And also it's an acknowledgement of weakness. To actually acknowledge that we're going through a hard time actually is an acknowledgement that we're in need, that, it's, that we're weak. We don't like acknowledging that. Let me give you an example of just how, a dialogue, how this works out. We have a dialogue, we have a conversation. You know, you, after you're having coffee at the, at the back and you go, how are you doing? And what's the answer that we always get, give when we say, when we answer, what are we doing? How are we doing? We do great. Someone's great at the back there. Craig is great today. Um, you know, it's, I'm good. I'm great. I'm, you know, we, we don't really want to say, you know what, my, my life is falling to pieces right now. Things are really hard. Why? Well, one, because it's hard to acknowledge and admit, firstly, that, that we're weak, that things are not good. And I also think as a society, we actually don't know how the other person will respond. You know, if you said, you know what, actually life is very difficult right now and I'm really struggling. I'm going through a season of great sorrow. That's actually a vulnerable place to be. And it's actually placing your heart and your life in the other person for their response. Can I just give a really quick teaching moment from here, pastoral moment? When someone said, you know, you know you're talking to someone, they've gone through a hard time they've lost something or someone. That's not the opportunity to give them 10 reasons why God is good or to give them a whole range of reasons or advice. You know, I find that, because that, I find myself here when I'm, you know, I, I talk to people or I make pastoral calls. Sometimes the best answer when you don't know is you're saying, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry. The most loving thing that you can do is just be. Not try and fix the situation. Not try and make things better. But to sit in the lament with the other. And say, I'm so sorry. The thing is that when we do acknowledge, when we are able to say, I'm struggling, I'm going through a season of lament and loss right now, there is actually a liberation that happens. See, when we, when we acknowledge weakness, there's a humbling that goes on. There's a going, I can't carry this anymore. To acknowledge and say, this is hard, opens up our life. It opens up our life to ourselves. It's, there's a moment of honesty with ourselves that says, you know what, I'm being honest with myself right now, I can move forward. There is something wonderful about reality <laughs> compared to, you know, denial. 
We, can op- we open up our lives to ourselves so that we can, can move forward. We open ourselves up to God so that he can speak to us. And we open up ourselves to others so that they can mis- uh, meet our needs. See, acknowledgement, being honest, is liberating. We see firstly that in this, in this book of Lamentations, one, we all walk through seasons of suffering. And secondly, asking God why is vital to making sense of our suffering. Now you can go back and read the, 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 the previous verses in chapter three. But every part of it, as he writes, the, the poet says, I have been afflicted by God. He has, he has. You know, we read, he has filled me with bitter herbs. He has pierced my heart. He has broken my teeth with the gravel. All these kind of, God, you have done this to me. You know, I think sometimes as good Christians, for those of us here who are people of faith, we feel like we can't go to God and say certain things to him because we may offend him. We, we can't ask the hard questions of God because he's God and he knows everything and I'm not. So I'm just going to sit here dutifully and take my bitter pill. Can I say that that's just not biblical? It's not biblical. We see all throughout the scripture that there is this raising. You see David do it in the Psalms. God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why, why has this happened? We see here in Lamentations, God has done this to me. It's almost like this, why? I think we can say as part of this book, and I think we can say throughout Scripture that suffering in silence is not a virtue. It's not a virtue. In fact, it's the opposite. There is something in our hearts that we need to be honest with. And as we come to God and we, we say, God, why? What we're doing is we're actually railing against that which is unjust. We're railing against that which is broken. We're railing, our spirits are railing against that which is wrong. The things that are wrong in relationships, things that are wrong in this world. See, lamentations to, 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 or to bring a song of lament, to ask the question why God is actually a right form of protest against injustice. It's a way to process our emotion. It's a place to voice our confusion. I love what Tim Mackey says. He says, the purpose of lament is to restore a sacred dignity to human suffering through providing a language of lament. There is actually when we lift our voice and we say, God, why is this happening? There is something that dignifies our human spirit because we're actually aligning with God. We're aligning with this heart of injustice. Yet as we do, sometimes we feel like God remains silent. Do we ever feel like this? And that's point number three. See, it can feel like God is silent in our suffering. Verse 28 says, Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. God, it feels like, remains silent. We ask, we ask, we ask, but God seems to remain silent. Where is God? Where is the presence of God in the midst of our life? Theologian Christian Brady on Lamentations says this, perhaps the most theologically challenging aspect of Lamentations is the presence of God. Where was God during this tragedy? 
Where is he now as we make sense of our own tragedies? This is where life becomes interpretation, he writes. Lamentation contains the complaints, prayers and petitions that any of us might address to God in our grief. God's response is not found in the test, but in history. See, here's the thing. It's certainly the the case for the poet writing in in Lamentations, and we'll get to it. So God has spoken. God has spoken throughout history. God has spoken throughout the, the history of the world. God has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. And we can see the faithfulness of God. He speaks. He continues to speak through history. And he's spoken to us. For those of us who are of faith here today, he speaks to us in our story. We can think back and we can look back at times where God has been faithful to us, where God has been generous and kind to us. God speaks to us in life itself. God is speaking. Sometimes, sometimes it feels like it's silent. And sometimes it feels like it's silent because we, we, we have the wrong radar up too. Sometimes we're trying to hear something and we're listening for the wrong answer. I love what Pete Gregg says. He wrote the book, God on Mute. He says this in his book. He says, I asked for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing that I asked for, all that I hoped for. My prayer was answered. I was most blessed. God is speaking. And God does speak. And it's often in the silence of suffering that God speaks to us most profoundly, most loudly, as C.S. Lewis says. And God is speaking. God has spoken and he will continue to lead us even though sometimes it feels like God is not with us. Sometimes it feels like God is silent in our suffering. Fourthly, we need to acknowledge as we see in this this lament, God is not the source of suffering. Verse 33, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. You know, many people blame God for their suffering, for their pain. In fact, it's the reason why many people walk away from faith. It's also why many people turn to faith, but I'll get to that a little bit later. Suffering is perhaps one of the greatest barriers to faith. How could God let me experience this? How could God allow me to go through it? If God was a good God, Surely he would eliminate and remove evil. Where was God? Where is God in my deepest moments of pain and suffering? These these are real questions. And these would be, I know, for many of you here today, because I know some of your stories, these would be real questions for you right now. They're important questions. And I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure I have the complete answer. I'm not sure I I can give you the whole answer, and I certainly can't give it to you within this message. 
It's a whole nother series to unpack. But I just want to say two things. Firstly, from a theological perspective and then from a rational or a naturalistic perspective, an atheistic perspective, if I may. Firstly, theologically. When we approach life, when we approach suffering theologically, we must acknowledge that we live in a broken, fallen world. We make sense of this world by understanding creation. We understand that God created the world. He created things and they were good. He also created humanity out of love. He created humanity to respond to him in love and he gave humanity the choice. See, this is the only, the only way that love can truly be given is if it can, it, the, the option is there for it not to be. We were not created to be robots. We were created to respond in love and the only way we can respond in love is if we have the option to love or not to love. If we see in Genesis chapter three, and this is the narrative of all human history, we see that, that we have all chosen ourselves over God. We have rejected the goodness and the love and the grace of God. We see that narrative in Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve reject God. They take the fruit and they say, we want to be our own gods. And as a result, sin enters the world. And sin, you can see sin because sin just leads to pain and heartache everywhere. It leads to relational breakdown. So wherever there is pain, wherever there is brokenness, both in relationships and also in a world, it's a result of sin. See, sin is a cosmic issue. All of creation, Paul talks about all creation groaning under the weight of sin. We all groan under the weight of sin. We have chosen as humanity... We have chosen our course and as a result, suffering enters the world. It's our choice and we live with the consequences. It brings great heartache to God, brings great pain to God, brings great pain to us. But we walk through suffering because we understand that we are sinful. That's a theological perspective. I'm not going to land, I'm getting to the end of the story because it does end well. But I, also, I just want to take the, 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 the atheistic view as well or the rational evolutionary view of things because the objection is, well, if there is a good God, surely good, a good God would stop suffering. Surely he would stop those, those kids dying under terror. He, surely he would stop abuse. He would intervene in the war in, in Ukraine. Or There can't be a God because if God was good, then he would intervene. But to even ask that question, there is a presupposition of a moral framework. So you've got to understand that in an in a, in a evolutionary, atheistic world that moral framework must, must come from somewhere. To even ask in that, in, in, in that framework, to even ask why is there suffering is, it, is a false question to ask because surely suffering is just the way of life. If you don't believe in God, then you shouldn't be even asking the question why is there suffering because that's just the way of the world. And in fact, it was this argument that led C.S. Lewis to faith. C.S. Lewis was an atheist and an academic. And it was around this issue of moral worldview. Why are we even asking the question of suffering that led him to faith? See, the good news, though, with the Christian narrative, it just doesn't end with sin. If God is not the source of, of suffering, why do we experience suffering and how can we make sense of it? Well, here's the great news in the Christian faith. God is not separate from our suffering. See, my fifth point is that God is present with us in our pain. 
God steps down from heaven to earth and enters our world of suffering to redeem and rescue us and restore us. And you know this. Now, many of you know this. It comes out in this lamentation, verse 22 and 23, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See what Habakkuk, sorry, not what Habakkuk, what the writer to Lamentations is, is grabbing hold of. He's grabbing hold of this, this truth of who God is. He's seen it in the past. It's God's covenantal love. It's his hesed love, loving kindness, faithful, compassionate, covenantal, committed love. It's a strong love. It's a love that was, that was, that was given uh, when God came to Abraham and said, I will bless you. I will love you. As long as you remain faithful to the covenant, I will be your covenantal God. That's the love of God. And Lamentations, the right Lamentations is saying, that is the God that despite despite everything I'm walking through, everything that I'm experiencing, everything that, that I am feeling right now, the gall in me, I know because I've seen it in the past and I've seen it throughout history that there is a God who is faithful to His covenant. I know that there is a God who is just. See, it's the justice of God that we can, find, we can find our hope in. Even though the justice of God may lead to pain, we can find hope in it eternally because God will always be true to His Word. And His Word has been made and it has been sealed at the cross. God's justice is wrought at the cross and we can look at the cross and say God has shown us who he is because he stepped down and he has suffered in our place for our sins. Jesus, the God-man, comes down and dies on a cross. God is not separate from us and this, this is very different from every other worldview and every other religion. That there would be a God who doesn't stay aloof and judges us and persecutes us capriciously. No, 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 we serve and love a God who loves us first, who came down and suffered and died for us. See, I, I don't have all the answers at times when it comes to suffering, but this I know. God came down and he suffered for you and for me. God is present in our pain. Number six, God's justice is the source of our hope in the midst of our suffering. God's justice is the source of our hope in our suffering. See, it's God's judgment. It's God's righteousness. It's God's covenant that provides the seedbed of hope for the writer here in Lamentations. As I said before, God is consistent with his character and therefore, he is consistent still with his covenant promises. And today we can take hold of that. He is consistent with his actions. We've seen it wrought at the cross. And as a result, we are given an eternal hope. We have an eternal hope. God is faithful to his word despite what we walk through. We live and we walk as the writer of the lamentation says, I have a hope in my heart. There is a hope that I can carry. There's a hope that I can walk with despite everything that's going on. 
And that's a hope for us today as well. I love the picture that we see right at the end of the book in Revelation chapter 21. We read this new picture where everything has been undone. Every, all the sorrow and all the pain and all the brokenness has been undone. Everything has been renewed and we see this beautiful picture. This is the future. This is the hope for everyone who is in Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. It's always been God's intent right from the very beginning, right from creation. His heart has always been to dwell with His people. His heart has always been to dwell with us. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and they will be their God and He, them and be their God. I love this point. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That is our hope. That is our hope. That is your hope. And that is what we carry as we move forward. It's a future hope and we can know we can trust it because God has secured it. He has shown us through His Word and His actions we have a hope. God's justice is the source of our hope in the midst of our suffering. So how do we walk now? We've got this hope for the future. We look forward and we go, yes, yes, there's a day coming where there will be no more suffering or pain. There will be no more tears or mourning. And we look forward to that day. It fills our hearts with joy. It fills our hearts with excitement. But, but how do we walk in the now? We see... In the writer of Lamentations, the poet says, waiting, waiting is the way to walk through suffering. Waiting. I say to myself, verse 24, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait, again that word wait, quietly, for the salvation of the Lord. So how do we wait? Three really quick things as I come to land. Firstly, we wait by walking. We wait by walking. We walk through our life. We walk through our pain. We walk through our sorrow. We walk through life with lament. That's how we walk in the wait. You know, God never promised, He never promised that we would not suffer. You hear any preacher say any different and they're lying. God always said that we would experience seasons of strife and challenge and turmoil. That's part of life. Psalm 23, the great Psalm says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though it's not... The shepherd leads me away from the shadow. No, 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 the shepherd leads me through it. I will fear no evil. There will be times when we walk through challenge and pain and heartache and sorrow. We need to walk through it. In fact, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to sign up to be on Team Jesus, to walk in the way of Jesus is to walk sometimes in the way of sorrow. 
Matthew 10 verse 39, Jesus says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. I don't know about you, but losing stuff isn't easy. Letting go of stuff is difficult, but it's the only way in the economy of Jesus that we will find life. It's walking. Tim Keller, uh, who many of you know, uh, says this, and he's actually walking through a season right now where he's walking through severe, uh, he's got pancreatic cancer. And he wrote a book recently on suffering, and, and this is what he says. Walking with God through suffering means that, in general, you will not experience some kind of instant deliverance from your questions, your sorrows, your fears. There will certainly be progress, but in general, it will be slow and steady progress that comes only if you stick to the regular daily activities of walking itself. We walk with God. We walk the slow journey, the regular activities of prayer, of reading God's Word, of reminding ourselves with others. That's why gathering here on a Sunday is so valuable because when we worship, we lift our eyes, we get perspective, we mediate, we set, we remind one another of who we are in Christ, the daily activities of walking the journey faithfully. We wait well by walking well. Secondly, we wait well by weeping, by weeping. Now I know we're in Australia and certainly for a blokey thing, you know, it's just not cool to cry unless it's the end of one of those really tear-jerking movies like Top Gun. <laughs> Went and saw that this week. You know, we are created as emotional beings and we get our cue from God. You look at uh, Jesus. You see when he goes to the grave, to the to the, the graveside of his friend Lazarus and everyone's mourning, and you read in that passage in John that there's like a grunt because he hates evil. It's, it's, it's almost this exhale of going, Oh, I hate what evil does to this world. And then as he gets closer and he spends time, he gets close to Mary and Martha, they're weeping. And we read, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus weeps, Jesus wept. Jesus experienced and just felt the sorrow and pain of others. Jesus knew what the outcome would be, but he entered into the sorrow of the moment. You know, we need to find a way of weeping. Now, Jesus looks over Jerusalem as he comes in and he weeps over the city, just like Lamentations. He weeps over the city because they are far from him. There is something about weeping that helps us wait. I reckon for some of us, we need to find a way of, of weeping. Weeping over our life. Weeping over others. I reckon too, there's, a, there's a words that we need to find in the weeping. It's the gift of lamentations is it begins to find words for the deep grunt, the deep pain in our soul. You need to find ways to actually express your pain. Again, this is something that is so countercultural. This is something that is just not applauded in society, but we need to find ways. For me, and I'm learning how to do this, but I journal. It's a way of articulating my prayer and writing down my emotions. And then thirdly, we, walk, we wait through walking, we wait through weeping, and we wait through worship. 
by lifting our eyes and choosing as the writer in Lamentation says, I lift my eyes, I look for my salvation, my hope, my trust is in Him. I will worship Him. See, what we do here when we gather is we remind ourselves of who God is. We lift our eyes. And I was saying to the team before, so often we lose perspective because of our our narrow view of the world. And that's fine. But the reality is, is that God has a far, far, far bigger view. He sees from eternity past to eternity future. He's a sovereign God who knows all. He carries everything in His hands and we can trust Him. And when we worship, we reminded God, you're in control. You're in control of my past, my present and my future. And I can find great hope in that. We wait well by worshipping. I know I've shared this story before and some of you may know it, but I want to share it again as someone who learned how to worship in the waiting and in the suffering and the pain. Horatio Spafford, which is just a great name. Some of you may know this story. Chicago businessman in the late 1800s had four girls. He lost his business in the great Chicago fire, lost everything. A couple of years later, they, he was friends with Dwight, the, the well-known great preacher, Dwight Moody. A couple of years later, he decided to go on holidays to England, have, a, have an extended holiday with his family. And, and they, they got on a, well, actually he was held back. So he sent his wife and his four kids across the Atlantic to England. If you know the story, the ship went down in the middle of the Atlantic. His four girls passed away. His wife survived and he came a little bit later on. And about the point as he was travelling across the Atlantic, he, he penned those words, which we, we, some of us know, and we're going to sing a different you know, a song that references these words in a moment. He wrote these words as he looked over the ocean lamenting the loss of his four girls. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my loss, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford learned how to worship in the waiting. And I think that that's an invitation for us today as well is is to go deeper, to actually be honest and real with who we are, to actually go, you know what? Life is not always easy and I'm not gonna pretend it is. And I'm gonna ask God the questions why. And sometimes I'm not gonna get the answer I want or sometimes it's gonna feel like God is silent but I know He is with me. I know His presence is with me. And His goodness, I remind myself of His goodness and we're gonna worship in a moment. And we're gonna acknowledge, just sing, and I'm gonna invite you to acknowledge your own story, your own journey, your own pain, your own sorrow. Even over the last two years, maybe you haven't taken some time just to let go. But then lift your eyes and say, God, in spite, despite, I know you are faithful, you are good, and you are love. You've shown it, God. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you. So I wonder, I'm going to get the band just to come up. 
I'm just going to get the team just to sing. I just wonder whether just for a moment we just be still. I realise that some of this would have just, you know, brought up a whole bunch of stuff. And, and I just invite you, just as the team sing over us, we're going to stand and sing in a minute. But just for these moments right now, just to be still. Maybe you just want to shut your eyes. Allow the words just to wash over you. Say, God, this is who I am. And I'm asking why. Let's be still. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to get connected with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.